0: Hello and welcome to the Strength to Be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright Mark Antony Rossi. In our fourth year, we continue to explore the meaning of being an artist in an ever changing digital world. Now, without further ado, here is your host. Hi folks, and welcome back to Strength to be Human. I'm your host, Mark Anthony Rossi, poet and playwright. This is going to be episode 247, Global Mail Bag 3. All right, third installment of this. i uh, call it more global mail now because I'm getting more mail, you know, internationally now. Because we have, we have a lot more listeners now that are listening. As some of the networks have spread the show throughout, you know, the area of the, of the, um, various continents that that can pick up podcasts now, uh, with really the courtesy of of Spotify. Thankfully, they've really gotten to a lot of different countries, so definitely grateful for them. All right, so we got um, a bunch of email here from a number of shows we've done over the last uh, four or five months. Um, I got mail uh, from the Alien show you know, Life Beyond Earth, I'm going to wind up doing a second Alien show. I'm going to talk about more stuff now that it's become more of a, a congressional thing where there's been an investigation and some findings and, you know, they're now funding a whole agency that's looking into this. So we'll talk about that as well as some of the mail about that as well. well. We'll do a show that actually has mail in it. All right. And this is also a show where we're going to answer a question from somebody and then talk a little bit about that as well. So... This will be uh, very interesting. All right, so one of the first emails I got, and, and I wound up getting six of them all together here, and ironically they're all from France, uh, I guess I'm not too surprised, was the show we did where it was an editor, an interview show. And this editor was uh, Ralph Greco, Jr., uh, writer uh, from New Jersey, uh, wrote primary erotica. He wound up um, editing an erotic issue that would get put out by uh, the Canadian magazine uh, Grand Falloon. And you know, full disclosure, they published me a year ago. Not not erotic. They were just just doing that one episode on that. Or oh, excuse me, rather, the one issue on that. And I got another thing coming out in the fall this year as well. But again, not really erotic. But um, they wanted to do a, a speculative fiction. Uh, Issue that also included uh, erotica. So people did sexual situations in in speculative fiction, even some science fiction. And uh, I guess they picked him for it because he's somebody that's really an authority on that subject. So we had a number of emails in about that. Looks like that was a show that did well in terms of, you know, people downloading it. And thank you. And we got some interesting comments. All right, first one here. It was a typical American interview on sex. Missing passion and details, but at least you made an honest attempt. (laughs) Thank you very much. Um, Slight uh, bit of criticism there, but you know, I'm not too surprised. Yes, Americans are always, uh, they're always, uh, I don't know, I think they're always surprised and fabricated when somebody calls them, you know, conservative on sex. But um, I can certainly testify to that because uh, I've lived overseas. And if you lived overseas as long as I have, you know, five years, you'll you'll see the big differences, too. And you'll come back and go, wow, we are kind of backwards on a lot of that stuff. And we are. So I can see why they're upset. But, hey, you know, anyone who knows me knows that whether I'm operating the literary journal, Ariel Chart, or my own writing, or even on the show, you know, sex and, and, and romance, they're not exactly big topics for the show it's not. I'm not. I'm not terribly interested in those topics. Uh, I'm sorry. This uh, just, just the honest truth. And uh, you know, I don't think it makes me a, a weird or a boring person. In, in fact, if anything, the way society has been going, uh, I I probably stand out a bit. Probably seem almost like a rebel. You know, when you tell somebody you want to be a rebel today. Don't talk about sex. <laughs> okay. Uh, don't curse a lot. And, and and you know, and try not to be a racist. Okay. And and that will uh, make you a rebel. Because that seems like what's all people want to talk about these days. Alright, next one here. Uh, Question number two. I found this one to be refreshing. And Mr. Greco goes against stereotype on people's expectations of erotic writers as creepy basement dwellers. He was sharp, personable, and talented in other areas. I plan to order this issue. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for the comments, and I'm sure Mr. Greco will be appreciative of that. And so will the magazine Grand Falloon out of Canada. Check it out on the internet; it's easy to find. Uh, besides the issues that they um, will mail to you if you purchase them, at, you know, at a fair price, uh, they also have a free one that they put on the internet as well. So you get to see, you know, a bit of what they're doing and, and, and sample it, and then you know if you want to buy it or not. I think you'll be extremely impressed with them. They They really have a first-class operation going on over there. Okay. Next one here. When I consider the topic of sexuality, I don't immediately dial up Canada. No offense. Hope this means their icebergs are melting from the heat and this magazine is burning a new path. Bravo. Okay. Now i mentioned this before, and it bears mentioning again. Remember, I have a lot of people who write in that are not always from an English-speaking background or country, you know. And sometimes I have to do my best to understand what they're saying or even referring to. in this one, I understood they were what they were referring to, but um, in some cases, the English is written so bad that I'm like, let me just translate this and. Uh, I asked this person, literally, hey, why don't you just send this in French, and I'll just Google translate it, and that's what I did. So I had to do that to a couple of ones, because it was kind of rough, all right? All right. Uh, I don't know if they're having a bunch of icebergs melting over there in Canada, but I I understand there's a metaphoric reference over there. You know, I guess uh, in many ways people feel Canada is a lot like America in terms of, you know, being more conservative on this subject. Okay. There might be some truth there. All right. Number four, wish you do more editor interviews to target themes like horror or sci-fi as well. But this episode was tasteful, entertaining, and a real good promotional tool for the magazine. Thank you. And yes, um, I've always had that idea in mind, okay? But you have to understand, it's... Not always easy to arrange interviews in general with writers, let alone with editors. That's not an easy task. Some editors don't even want to be on record. And some editors are writers, and if anything, they would rather just talk about their writing than talk about other people's writing, or how they manage a magazine, or what they do you know, in the magazine, and what the magazine's about. So... It's harder to get somebody. But yes, I'd like to be able to get a hold of somebody that's doing some science fiction. That'd be great. Maybe somebody that does some horror, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I have no problem even doing romance. Wouldn't bother me at all, okay? But, you know, until then, you know, I just I just do my best to put my feelings out there so I can get a hold of somebody. You know, but um, I'm looking forward to doing the same thing you're talking about, believe me. All right, number six. And the last one here on this particular uh, interview, I have to admit I was surprised to see the title of the show. You obviously steer away from romantic or sexual subjects as a personal preference. You were comfortable with the material and asked strong follow-up questions. Perhaps you tackle perhaps you tackle romance as a theme in a future podcast. Okay, I see what, what I was trying to interpret there. Yeah, so yeah, and I, yeah, I I'd like to do that if, if I get somebody that has a real um a real grasp on that subject and you know, a real authority, maybe has some experience doing some of that, why not? You know, just the just the trick really is to try doing and something that's that's going to be interesting. And and again, I'm not saying that romantic stuff or romantic writing isn't interesting it's just that to me it isn't particularly interesting so you know i would want to make sure that we do something that would make the show interesting at least so that people would learn something and you know get a get a a, a little education out of it so hopefully my mind is open to it okay all right i'm hoping i get more emails on this show because it was one of my favorite shows in a while uh it was a mind speak show um is sleep living Okay, episode two hundred forty, but we only got one. No, I'm sorry, we got um, we got three. Yeah, we got three on this one, but uh, I, I still expressed that I wish we had more, but we didn't. All right. All right, one of the best broadcasts I have encountered in ages on this subject. Appreciate the philosophy and thinking behind these ideas. The question on whether sleep is a temporary form of death is radically interesting without delving into science fiction well thank you yes i know it, it really is something that was that was interesting you know believe it or not uh, without trying to sound weird here okay sometimes when i come up with some of these ideas and i put the show out it, i wind up even surprising my a bit of myself when i do it because i'm like yeah that really is something and, and it really is quite unoriginal and you know it has some interesting angles that even when I was putting the show together, I wasn't really fully expecting. So, yeah, I, I agree. Well, that it, you know, it is kind of interesting. Whether it's some kind of a form of death or not, I don't know. It could be a more metaphorical, uh, you know, way of looking at it. Or there may be some interesting spiritual connection or truth to that. Obviously, uh, still studying to find out if there's any, if there's any way you could find out. I don't know. But we do know. That in a paranormal world, you know, people are using technology more than ever before to try to record things and, and try to measure things because there's usually electrical fields and etc. So, you know, maybe there's something we can do with brain and sleep studies that, that might look into this rather than just the sleep studies about, you know, sleep apnea and, you know, bad dreamings and nightmares and, you know, depression and stuff like that. You know, they have sleep studies for that. Maybe one day somebody can do sleep studies trying to, like you know, analyze this, you know, what's happening, are you living, are you in like some kind of temporary death, so, yeah, it would be interesting, and then, you know, I'll keep you, uh, 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 you know, posted on that if we we find anything else out, all right, all right, question number two, uh, believe it, what does it say, believe it, oh, okay, okay, Yeah, I believe I was wondering about this subject myself, believe it or not, that's what they're trying to say, okay, almost as dreams or dimensional messages you can't receive until your conscious self is shut down by sleep, yeah, yeah, we're kind of going in that direction with this, so yes, thank you very much for that, and yeah, it it is a real believe it or not over there, but. It's a mystery that was interesting to explore, and I'm glad we were able to do that. Also, I'm really glad over you know I opened up the other show so I can kind of talk about some cultural things, maybe a few political things, some war things, philosophical things like this. Because you know on the writing show, you know you only can go so far with that before you really really strain out of writing, unless you're talking about a book about this subject. You know it's harder to have the subject by itself, and that's why I kind of created the other show for that reason. And I'm I'm glad it did that. All right, uh, episode number three on this um, is Sleep Living. Beautifully Thought Out. This is one of my favorite shows, and I continue to share it with friends. Yes, thank you. It did well on the the downloads, and apparently uh, it also did well on, on a lot of the commentary. And thank you very much. All right, what do we got here? Okay, yeah, we did an interview with uh, Thomas uh, Wilmain, okay? Episode 244. Uh, well downloaded and, and got some great comments on that. Thank you very much. Hopefully we'll get more in the future. We got two of them, and that's great. Uh, if you recall, he's the writer that um, wrote a lot of sweat fiction. It's interesting, and, uh, and I really like it. It fit perfect with Ariel aerial and what we're trying to do. But he, he's more known for the... Um, the non-fiction, uh, sort of like sending one more book, um, uh, The Dark Side of, uh, of the Moon, um, My Life in the National Security Agency. Uh, this guy is a software engineer, and uh, he also is somebody that um, I believe did some professorial work, and he did some work for the National Security Agency for a while, and um, he talked about that in the book, and we talked a little bit about that on the show as well, Okay. I thoroughly enjoyed this interview. You should have a follow-up with him to learn more about his new life now and his viewpoints involving listening to communications as a profession. (laughs) Okay, thank you for couching that. I mean, you only can go so far with something like this in an interview anyway because, you know, a lot of the stuff that's being done is classified. You know, they're not really going to talk about, you know, the techniques or who they're listening to or whatever like that, so... You know, I'm pretty sure in the memoir, although that some of that, you know, can be discussed and I'm sure he's done that, but again, you don't want people like, you know, revealing too much of the book there, they're also trying to sell. So, you know, it, it does give me some challenges when you, when you do a show like that, but, you know, I'm I'm still open to, to all kinds of different writers and there's nothing wrong with him having him on my board, even though you only could do so much. And I'm sure he understood that as well, but I like to have him on gone again. Believe me. All right. I wanted more of a spy thriller, yet happy with the interview and how two people with intelligence backgrounds interact in an age hostile to surveillance. <laughs> I know. I appreciate that uh, that last comment over there because it's it's a it really is the strange irony that. Here, we live in an age where, in many ways, privacy is, you know, nearly out the window. I mean, you could Google a lot of stuff on people. You really can. Um, Because so much of your information is sold. Whether you tell people you, you know, opt out of the privacy stuff or not, they seem to not care. Um, You know, you got drones out there that can see stuff in the air. Attached to weapons can kill people. You know, you got robots doing the uh, you know the, the same things on battlefields. You know, you got all kinds of cameras. I mean, yeah, there is not a phone out there that's sold anymore that doesn't have a camera on it. You know, and it's not just a camera; sometimes it's also you know a video device as well. So it's amazing what what, what can be done. Not to mention, you know, the average person that really is into uh, taking pictures and doing stuff like on Facebook, you can learn a lot about people just from looking at Facebook for a little while. Get an idea of what they read or what they watch, who they hang out with, that sort of thing. And I don't mean that in some weird, creepy way, okay? Because, you know, looking at all that stuff too much is not only, I think, creepy, it's quite boring. You know, you can get so much from somebody's life. But you could learn a few things, sure. And it's kind of funny how people are hostile to that, but then they participate in that as well. You know, so, you know, we are our own worst enemy on that subject. That's for sure. All right. I did a show um, called "Recognizing the Road to Madness," episode two hundred forty-five. Now, I did my best, and I'm not trying to say this uh, to make any big defense on anything, okay? Because you know, you guys probably already know me enough by now that I I don't, I don't spend lots of time apologizing about you know what I write or or what I think or, or what I do on the show because you know. My goal isn't to be controversial or to shock people. My goal is not to make people upset, and it certainly isn't, you know, the the goal to, uh, you know, to do anything in any kind of bigoted manner. And if somebody like myself, who is quite sensitive to mental health issues and mental illness in general, you know, I'm not going to throw around the uh, stupid words here and there just for the fun of it. I use madness because it has a, it still has a meaning that that's not pejorative. Okay, it does have a meaning that. You know, could could help people understand what you're trying to say without, you know, without going too far. So I did my best to try to, you know, balance that. I mean, depending on some of these emails, sometimes I, I was successful and, and sometimes people didn't think I was. That's that's the risk when you do something like that. And, and I accept it, okay? All right, one number one here. Didn't think you threaded the needle successfully. By using the term madness, in quotation marks, okay? And a stress meaning instead of the stereotypical negative condition. I want it longer for me. That's pretty much how they ended it. So, I don't know if they um, thought we didn't have a long enough show or we didn't talk about the issue long enough. or They definitely didn't think I did enough to sort of separate you know the madness of stress in your life that can cause you to make bad decisions that have nothing to do with mental illness per se. It's those temporary issues, and I don't mean I don't mean temporary insanity because again, we're not going there with that particular show. But we are going where you can have those kind of days where you know you the stress got in the best of you because maybe you're not feeling your best, or basketball you didn't get enough sleep. You know, you've had something, you know, traumatic happen during the week, and, and that's continuing to, you know, alter your emotional perspective on things, and you wind up making bad decisions and making the way the week or your life worse for a while. That happens to people. Happened to me, you know, a couple of times. I was talking about that, you know. But um, for what I was just told you about that I'm talking about, it's not exactly easy to come up with a clever, snappy title that would be interesting for people to check out. Because remember, I still have to do that as well. When people uh, see something like this, because eventually the, the internet drives this as an index for these shows, because I have titles to them, that's how you get people to listen to them more. You know, you can't really come up with something that sounds way too tame, because who's going to be interested then? That's just the truth of the matter. It's, it's part of marketing, again, but... Even as somebody who has to do the marketing for this thing, I do try to be as careful as I can because, like I said, I am sensitive to that and I'm not trying to, uh, you know, be exploitative if I can avoid that. All right? All right, number two. As usual, you jump in on the subjects others who are afraid to think about for fear of ridicule. I got a lot out of the program and applaud you. Thank you. Appreciate that very much. I tried to put a lot into that. I really did because uh, I thought it was interesting uh, subject to uh, talk about. You know, with the understanding that you know you're always going to do something that if it's close enough to a minefield, you know, you you might accidentally step on that mine now and then on the show, or you might bring somebody into that area where they you know like the the previous emailer. You know, they don't think he was successful. Maybe it's more sensitive to them than others. I don't really know. But I really thought I did the best I could on that. You know, and that's all I can tell you on that. Thank you very much. And thank you to the other person for emailing and letting me know. I appreciate that. You just it sticks in your mind later on when you do something that you you know, okay. Let's double our efforts if we can. Okay? Alright. Number three. Burnout and stress are not necessarily signs of mental illness yet can still be detrimental to one's health and need to be recognized and addressed that was pretty much the email there was a little bit before that i I deleted out because it was just a bit rambling and you know this is this is more concise I appreciate it very much it does help me um, to understand what you were saying and, and it helps really to frame right thought very well what the show was about. Because that's really what it was about. Trying to trying to recognize that. Alright. Number four. There are roads to madness. Too many follow for too long. Until they reach a crisis point. Speaking as a nurse. Society needs to take a measurement of their tolerance levels. And of toxic people and environments, this show is a healthy reminder of that public service message. Yes, and I, and I agree. In, in a way, I was trying to, you know, come across in some kind of a public service way, you know, without trying to sound, you know, t- too stale, or too boring, or too clinical, as they as they say. So I, I was hoping I was making it as interesting. You know, also uh, trying to be accurate about the facts. You know, a bit of entertainment now and then because you could do that with that. But, uh, yeah, I definitely had the public service in mind when we are trying to do a show about that. So thank you for that. As a nurse, you probably uh, seen a lot of these sort of things or, you know, probably had a lot of these things. People forget that more so than doctors you know, nurses in the medical field, they have to have more of their time involved in patient contact than doctors do. So therefore, you know, they communicate more with them and they absorb more. And in many cases, they they see more of the injuries and the wounds and the pain and the the suffering that people go through. And I'm sure that has to have an effect on them. And, uh... So we should applaud their uh, their efforts out there and what they do for us, and understand that you know they're going to have days or maybe weeks, like I mentioned on the show, where it's like you know I'm I'm trying to recognize this so I can uh, avoid any more damage from it. And yes, I appreciate that, and thank you uh, very much. So I got a question from someone that said, in in a nutshell, talk more about your recent efforts. On obtaining an agent for the book that you've been writing, and I'm still gonna do like a, another agent show, but you know, until I get some more concrete stuff, you know, uh, to make a show that long, I'm gonna hold off. But I will talk about some of the answer the question. It'll help fulfill some of this show, and still answer the question. You know, and maybe I'll use some of this again when I make a second show. But you know, it's harder on on those type of subjects to have another show about it, you know, to have a sequel to it, unless you have more, really, to add to it, because you don't want to completely repeat yourself, and, you know, I don't want to, like, get anybody uh, upset in the industry, but you got to be honest, and, you know, from a writer's perspective, you know, you got you got to tell what you see and what you know, and obviously what you hope for. All right, so, it's safe to say now it's been about you know, on a full-time regular basis, uh, submitting and all that about a good, yeah, seven, like seven and a half months, okay, so when I did that, that first show about the, uh, about, you know, how to get an agent and what I was doing, that, that was a lot of, I guess you could say the, the technical side of how to do that, you know, what you needed to do. And we'll go over that real briefly here, but then we can talk about some of the things that's happened that I've learned that has been useful and uh, how I continue to go forward. All right. Now, you got to have a query letter, and a query letter is it's almost like a combination letter of a mini synopsis. Now, you're going to have some agents that are going to ask you for a full synopsis, which is about a page long, literally a really a good breakdown of the book. Uh, whether it's a um, non-fiction or, or uh, a fiction-like novel type of book, you know, it's to cover a lot of the chapters and, and are really covering from the beginning, middle, and the end of the story. It's almost like you're trying to give them everything in a nutshell. You Maybe you did 250-pages book and they want it in one page. That's a full synopsis. But in the Quarry Letter, you're going to have only a paragraph as a synopsis. Just a mini thing about the book, generally what you're trying to do with it. You know, it'll, it'll have an introduction about... um who you are, maybe there's a little bit of a bio information in there. Um, you'll you'll mention about how long the book is. You know, um, usually they want a, a couple examples of maybe something similar that's out in the marketplace. And you know, your contact information. That that's pretty much it. Most agents, that's all they want to hear from you is that. Now I'll talk to writers, and you know, you'll you'll hear writers, and you'll probably said this yourself, if you haven't said it already. Man, I'm going to be judged by this. Uh, yes. You'll literally be judged by one letter email that you send. Almost a great majority of the agents that you talk to, and even publishers, because there are publishers out there that don't require an agent that you can actually communicate with as well, and they want the query letter. So, unfortunately, that's your judgment. So, if you don't learn to write something that's interesting, that really kind of gives them the information they want, and it makes it a good package. You can get the whole thing rejected just on the query letter. They haven't even read one word of your book yet—not even one word. We can talk all day long about how this is fair or unfair, but this is standard. So, it, to me, I always tell people, you know, when you got something that's that, that universal and that standard, I mean, it's it's hard to call it unfair because this is the way it is. You know, and you just have to learn to uh, you know navigate that. It's not really going to change. Now, from there, you might get a response back, uh, and I can tell you that I have. I've gotten, like, I think about eight different responses back so far, uh, meaning either, um, hey, um, let me see a synopsis now and a couple of chapters, or and let me see... Uh, a couple of chapters, or let me see, twenty-five pages, or fifty pages of the book, or and you know, at least two cases where where publishers send us the entire book. You know, you do it. uh it's an attachment from Word or possibly a PDF. You know, you have to have both of them on hand because you never know which one they're going to ask for. And and that's it. And you send it out. So that's if you get that next, you know, um, inquiry. More, more times than not, they're, they're looking at a, a sample of your book. You're not always going to get people asking for the full book. It doesn't happen that often. you know. Then, now you have somebody reading some of your book. So, that's usually going to be the very beginning chapters of the book. So, you can't skip around or whatever. They just want to see how the book opens up. And I'm sorry to say, you know, if you have one of those books that start off slow don't really match enough of the synopsis or it just hasn't gotten enough to, I don't know, whatever money shot they want, <laughs> you know, talking like Hollywood here, or um, whatever plot point that they found may be interesting in the query that now they're looking to read and see, you know, we can get rejected just on the spot from that. So you got to be extremely careful and conscious of, uh, did I start this book with enough speed? Is it going to be interesting enough to bring the reader in? Because remember, the reader is the agent, or in some cases, the publisher. That doesn't require agent. So that's something you might have to rework, redo, reconsider before you send out. Because if it isn't the kind of speed or doesn't it doesn't grab them and pull them in, they're going to reject you. Sometimes they literally tell you that in the rejection. You know, I just didn't connect with this, or just didn't pull me in, or it was an interesting idea, but you know, I don't think I can represent it. I don't think I can how I could sell this. You know, you're not you're gonna you're not gonna get from people who literally get a thousand of these things, and I'm serious, that many. You're not gonna get another chance. They're not gonna say, you know, I I think the overall concept is interesting. You know, maybe this was a little slow. Let me see the rest of the book, and I can make a decision. <laughs> Nobody does that. <laughs> would be nice if somebody could do that and maybe give you more consideration of the whole book, but it just simply doesn't happen. If you hear somebody that it happened to, it's an extreme rarity at that. I'm serious. Or it might have been that referred somebody referred them. You know, maybe they met an agent at a, at a conference, which happens sometimes, or... You know, possibly uh, another writer they know who's been published. You know, recommended them. So, if they sent the sample request in, and the person said, "I don't know, maybe I should look at the rest," just because, you know, they seemed interesting at the conference, or the other writers said this, people were, this person was really good. You know, pff, other than that, you just you're not going to get another attempt. That's just the way it is. Now, uh, some agents, uh, well, some agencies will say in their guidelines. You know, um, one rejection from one of us is a rejection from all of us. Because, you know, when you're in an agency, it could be anything from two to like 20 different agents, depending on how big it is, covering all kinds of different fields. All right? So sometimes it'll say that, and then that's it for you. You might as well just mark those people off. Others will literally say, hey, you give it the time, we get back to you, we don't want it, then you're now free to send it to another one of the agents that work here in this agency. So, depending on how many are available in that particular uh, field that you're in, you know, if you're in literary fiction or horror or romance or non-fiction or whatever, whatever, you know, how many you got in there, that gives you a few more opportunities possibly to, you know, maybe impress somebody else. So, consider that. So, it's not like that whole agency is down the drain now, but... Generally, you know, if that they have that, if they have that position, then that's where it is. I found out because I've, I've queried uh, over three hundred of them so far. I'm sure there's a lot more out there than that, but that's how how many I've done so far. Because I've also done international ones soon, not just American ones. Um, I found that it, I didn't get that many say that. It's a very very small handful. So most of them are pretty good about letting you come back they don't want you to do two of them or three of them simultaneously they don't do that that sort of thing they really frown on it might happen every so of accident but if you know you keep it a tracking record you you should be able to avoid that and you want to avoid that you don't want to upset people making them think that you know you're, you're being disrespectful you're rushing things or you know make your turns count when they come up all right just try not to do that all right that's all all right, so I've gotten I've gotten some good replies and I've gotten some stuff out, but you know, just because you know you get a a, a, a good okay, let me see some more. You know, these people these people are still busy, and, and it doesn't mean that they got your email. Oh yeah, I remember I, I told them about that. I'm going to go rush now and read this. No, it could be another six seven weeks for you again on top of this for them reading the query before they get to that. So you know. I remember I haven't even got to sending out the full book to any agent yet. So it could—I mean, if you think about it, uh, just to get to those two stages, probably three or four months just with that. I mean, it could be a year just for somebody to read the book and you know tell you if they're really interested in representing or not. That's how long this sort of thing takes. Meantime, you know. And I could advise this with people if they want to do this, it's up to them. Some people just put it aside and go on to other projects and just keep sending out emails and whatever until something happens. Me on the other hand, I do that as well as I constantly look at the book. Is there something more I can add that helps make it more more powerful, more interesting, more communicative? Is it something else I could write a little bit better on it? You know, can I tweak this? Can I do that? I'm always doing that. This probably hasn't been a month to go by. I'm serious that I haven't made alterations to the book, to the query letter, to the synopsis. (laughs) Hell, even to my bio. Sometimes they will ask for that. And you're going to get... I know it's really hard to... um, So I try to prepare for everything. Generally speaking, though, you can't even begin this process at least until you have the full book ready and by the way don't even begin to talk to these people if you don't have the book complete a lot of them have rules saying don't even talk to us if the book's not complete because if they from the blessings of God over there really like your query letter and they immediately say I want to see this book right now and your book's not ready they're not going to say yeah I'm going to wait a month nope you don't have a lot of time I'm serious (laughs) maybe a couple of days before they're expecting to see this thing. And I'm I'm telling you now, if it's not there, you're done. So, don't even begin to do it until the book is done. Period. Okay? So, in the very least, you need to have the query letter ready to go, the synopsis ready to go. And again, like I mentioned before, it's one built into the query letter and you want to have a full page one. So, a separate synopsis, query letter, and the book ready to go. Okay? Some agencies will also require a cover letter if you're talking to anyone who speaks the, the British you know accented English in, in England or possibly over in New Zealand uh, Australia or even some parts of Canada they'll call it the covering letter that's their term for it everybody else calls it a cover letter but it's the same concept okay some of them actually request that as a requirement so um, you won't find as much of it. I, in fact, um, I've never really found uh, an American agent, and then a few in France too, in Germany that required it. Almost none of them e- even asked for it at all. If you want to include it, and you know, start off your whole email with the cover letter, and then do do a query letter after that. You know, and then maybe even attach an attachment of some sample, if they allow that in, you know, in their guidelines, you could do all of that in one email, and that's fine. You know, it's up to you on, on, on whether that, but at least having the query letter to the synopsis and the book ready to go, I do recommend that you have some kind of a cover letter because you're going to eventually get that request. So consider it anyway. Some people wait just until the request comes, and then they sit down and write it. Uh, I don't mean the request comes if someone asks you for a cover letter, <laughs> because no one's going to ask you for it. It's just that when you come up on reading guidelines for an agency uh, in England and many other places, it, it is a requirement. Almost almost all of them are asking for that. So it's good to have it on hand. You know, I, it's, it's, it's a much more um, friendly and, and, and genteel Version of a query letter. It's not so specific about all the things you know. You know, I'm in this field, and I'm writing because of this reason. And here's my bio, and I got printed and published over here. And the books about this and that. It's extremely general. You know, hi, this is, you know, this is Mark Rossi, and you know, I used to be in the in the Air Force, and you know, I got this military fiction book about uh, some of my experiences uh, during the Cold War, and you know. You know, I like to be able to, to, to send you uh, you know a query letter and a couple of chapters, you know, for your consideration, you know, that sort of thing. That's really all it is. It's very casual, very friendly. Uh, you you want to uh, address the person directly because oftentimes you'll have a certain agent that when you read what they've published or what they're interested in, you're gonna you're gonna be able to direct it to that person. Some places, okay, you'll notice. And they'll actually tell you this openly. Send whatever you got to send, and they'll give you a small list of it, okay? Um, To this submissions email that we have just for submissions, and we'll assign what agent we think is the best. And that's it. You just send it, you know, their agent. I'm not putting dear even. Just, you know, whatever they want and send it. And you can't do nothing about that. Even if you look through the bios of the agency on the internet and say, Wow, I wish I could go to this one. Well... Maybe they'll still send it that one. You don't know, but, you know, that's how some of them work. Others will literally tell you directly, don't do that. Don't put some general thing, you know, and make us guess because they'll reject that thing right away. They'll just send it back saying, can you pick an agent? So pick the agent and address it to that agent, and that's all you got to do, okay? All right, real important. I know this is a a real difficult thing for people in general. But if you're not writing a book or if you haven't written a book that has an exact category, pick one. Just pick one even if it's just for that that one email to that one agency and to that one agent. Pick one. Which one do you think is closest to? If they're strong on that, then do it. I think this is literary fiction. All right, go with that. I think this is horror fiction. I right, go with that. I think this is psychological suspense. Go with that. Okay, you get too many writers here. That uh, Mark, this is a blend. I go. I'm sure it is a blend. I don't disagree with you, but a lot of agents and a lot of agencies don't want to hear that. They, and some of them are militant in the language about that. I've read a few that literally said, "If you haven't picked the category, or if you want us to pick it for you, you're not ready to even submit." Then please don't bother us. Don't waste my my favorite re- line. You're gonna read in a lot of agencies guidelines. Whether you think this is rude or not, it's just the way it is. Don't waste our time. And then after that, it'll say why. You know uh, why? Because you're sending it to uh, a category they don't represent. Because sometimes you'll you'll go to an agency and they'll literally say, "We only re- represent adult fiction, youth fiction." And kid books, youth fiction—they mean like teenager stuff, you know, youth team stuff. That's it. That's the three things they do. Some will only say we only do nonfiction. Don't send us anything else. You know, others will say we just do romance and erotica. So you got some that specialize in stuff. So you gotta make sure you read that stuff sort of thing carefully, so you don't, you know, they don't, they don't want you to waste your time because you really you are, you're wasting their time and and you're wasting yours. All right, but pick a category. Don't get cutesy about it. Don't get don't get forty about it. Don't get smarty about it. It's not going to help you. You're just going to because it's going to piss somebody off, and you're not going to accomplish anything. Right, this this is not like the literary like magazine world. You won't even get a rejection from a lot of these agents. They'll tell you four to six weeks. If we don't get back to you, we probably are not interested in it anyway. A lot of times they won't even reject you. They don't even have time for that or care to do that. So you, you really don't want to get yourself rejected on process, that's what I call it, when you're just not obeying their rules. It's just the worst thing, and it's dumb, so don't do it, okay? But also on that subject, okay, it's not just about avoiding a rejection by not having the right category or not even picking a category. It's you're pitching and marketing and promoting yourself in this thing. You have gotta have something because how can you have a meaningful conversation if they do get back to you about what the hell your book's about? And how the hell can you inform your synopsis, which they're going to ask about, and they're going to—it's going to begin with, "This is a uh, you know, let's just say it's you know, the purple alien book. And this is uh, about a purple alien, you know, who encounters uh, discrimination on another planet and blah blah blah." You know, If you don't have a category, you can't even inform your query letter or your synopsis. You really can't. It's going to sound wishy-washy. It's going to sound vague. It's going to sound weird. If you do all that, people are not even going to pay attention to what you're trying to do. Okay? And there's nothing worse than messing up things so bad that, you know, they're never going to get a chance to read a book that could be good. Because of you messing it up. So, pick it. If that means, and this has happened to me, so I'm telling you from the truth here about what I've had to experience. I definitely have a book that I'm trying to get out there that has different categories in it, in many ways, uh, and, and most of the stuff I've been submitting to people, I, I say it's literary fiction, and uh, and then throughout the career letter, you'll you'll see the military thing and the angle and things about you know mental health and you know all of that, travel, you know, Cold War, all of that, but you know. It's generally a, a literary fiction book. But you might come across an agency that says, you know, we're really strong on historical fiction. Well, guess what? There's a lot of history in this book that I talk about. So I, I can also call it a historical fiction book, and I'll pitch it that way to that one. There's a few agents that literally like military um, and, and espionage type of books, although consider it like a thriller type of thing. Well, then you can have, you can pitch it that way. So if you want to have like two or three different categories that you're pitching it, you know, independently with, there's nothing wrong with that. Do that. Just all mix it up in one query letter. This is a combination of literary, historical, and military espionage fiction. It's just, that's how they think you're an idiot then. So don't do that, all right? Do it independent, but don't do it all mixed together. That's what they mean by picking something. And that's what you have to do, all right? So uh, I'm in the stages here now, as I'm always in, is, uh, is every week or so, I'm looking to see if there's anybody new that's come on board, any new agents, maybe I haven't talked to new agencies, I've done a lot of international query letters as well, Uh who knows how long, if that's any longer than any other place, but there's a lot of uh, places around the world that will take things that are in English, because they're okay with that, That like the, they'll translate it, and you know, a lot of times you might have subject matter that might fit it better, you know. Uh, I always felt that, you know, some of the things I have to say, especially about the Cold War, has much more of an international appeal. So why not talk to some international agents and see if they, you know, they read and, and, and hear the same thing I'm talking about. So I'm able to do that, and hopefully that'll, you know, that'll that'll pan out. But you want to give yourself, you know, as many opportunities as you can try to create in, in the whole situation. There's plenty of sources out there. They have books that have all the listings on it. There's plenty of things on the Internet. It's all out there, so it's just—it's important to stay on top of it as best you can, Alright? Track everything as as, as you can to, to do it as well. All the good, the bad, anything, et and etc. That's what you have to do. It's a long process, and you have to be uh, up for that, you know. I've known plenty of people; it's taken them longer to get an agent than it took to uh, than, than to write the book. That's just the way it is. You know, but um, if you wanted to see a, a, a bigger audience or if you wanted to do more with the book, then, you know, putting it out yourself or, uh, or or maybe just going with like a really small boutique type place. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but, you know, if you think it, it, it can go to a bigger audience, so if you have a, you know, a real real driven dream about, no, I wanted to have a bigger splash with this, well, then this is what you have to do. You know, in the end, it'll be worthwhile. But it, it's really, uh, you know, it's really a job in itself. It really is. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of work, and uh, you learn a lot. though know. funny thing is, is that in a strange way, but also in a good way too, having to do the synopsis and having to do the query letter and the cover letter and, and all the things that you have to do that basically. Uh, describing the book and promoting the book it also helps you understand more about what you wrote it, it, may, it, it may even catch a few things where you're like you know, let, me, let me twerk this or do this or do that because yeah I like what I just came with before in this description let me make sure it reflects more of that so you can make some alterations that you discover is, is, is a good thing and it kind of helps uh, illuminate things you, you, you didn't realize before and, and of course one day You know, God willing, you know, you you get this thing published, you're going to be in an interview, whether it's a written interview or internet interview or podcast or TV or whatever. You know, and you now have an extremely firm hand on everything that you were talking about in that book because you spent so much time breaking through all the angles to do everything to promote it. Now, that interview, which in itself is, is the ultimate promotion, I mean, you can just whiz by through it, so. You'll sound like you're an expert, and, and that's that'll be great, you know. So keep that in mind, too, that there's the, there's a positive in that. All right, like I said, once I learn some more, I'll have another episode on this. And in, in the meantime, hopefully that helped answer, you know, your question about this and, 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 and all that I've been, I've been going through on it, you know. Um, I'm not going to lie to you over here as positive as they can be. To learn and to do all this and get some good comments back, I've gotten some good feedback back. Even when I got rejected, I've had a few agents that you know they went out of their way, you know, to say some things. That I'm, I'm taking to heart. That's good. Um, it's still a struggle to do. It's it's not an easy task at all. Because it's just like the the literary magazine world. You, you when you do get rejected, you know, you're getting a form letter. You're not getting anybody, you know, saying this and saying that, signing anything useful at all this that are not you know they usually just say the standard you know it don't fit in my list or I I can't see how I can you know sell this Which you don't even understand what that's supposed to mean it's just a line you hear from people you know it's almost like a a standard boilerplate line so you have to keep your own faith hope alive because you're not going to get it from from any of that kind of (laughs) (laughs) communication back you're going to get a few things that it's going to carry you. Believe me, I have, and I'm happy with that. But, uh, you know, not all the time. All right, folks, hopefully that helps you with some of the shows and some of the feedback from a lot of our listeners. Thank you very much, listeners. Keep that going. And thank you all for being so supportive on the show, Strength of be Human and uh, Mind Speak. All right, so that was Global Mailbag 3, Episode 247. This is Mark Anthony Rossi. You have a great night, and thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by visiting our sponsors at www.strengthtobehuman.com or purchasing an ebook at www.somapublishing.com.